the Russians send all their dissidents to Siberia. The United Pentecostal Church sends theirs to Kansas. <laughs> Hallelujah. Wow. I, I came here expecting to preach to a dozen people, and I wasn't expecting this kind of crowd, but I'm thankful for you being here. I, I told her the band, I said, how have we gotten so old without getting together before tonight? But I, I thoroughly uh, enjoy Brother Bounds. I've watched his ministry down through the years. And uh, there's so much about Ohio that uh, I, when you think of Ohio, uh, you, you think of big city people. And I guess Columbus is probably the largest city but even Columbus has got good people in it amen but I didn't realize how rural Ohio was and we was driving from Columbus up to uh, Zanesville and all the trees I'm sure Ohio is a beautiful place but you can't see it for all the trees amen uh, in Kansas, the state tree is the telephone pole. And the wind blows so much in Kansas that even bald-headed people have to wear hairspray. Oh, hallelujah. But I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for the invitation to be here tonight. Uh, I, I feel like my job is to help you. Uh, I want to impart. Rather than be a, a good preacher, I want to impart something to you. Uh, in the morning, uh, he said, I had all the time that I needed. Uh, that's impossible. Uh, I have 20 hours of material for tomorrow alone. And uh, uh, I want you to be a better soul winner. I want you to be a better pastor. But more than anything else, I want you to be a better person uh, when I leave here. And I'm very thankful to be teamed up with Brother Watts. Uh, what a tremendous tremendous person he is I want you to open your Bible to First uh, Kings chapter 17 please do not preach ahead of me because I am not going to preach what I appear to be preaching amen and uh, so if you'll not get ahead of me stay with me uh, we're, go we're going somewhere tonight Amen. I believe this is the hour, the greatest hour the church has ever faced. The last 20 months have been very challenging. Very challenging. And I remember a few months ago when the, the pandemic uh, hit Wichita and we had to shut down our church and we were totally shut down in our community for 89 days. And uh, I have been in Wichita for 44 years, and we have had 43 consecutive years of growth. And I was so afraid that the chain uh, was going to be broken and uh, that the pandemic was going to set us backwards. But I made a decision to not let that happen. And the pandemic has been has ended up being one of the greatest things 
that has ever happened in our community. Amen. Not, not the sickness, not the deaths, but the aftermath of what it has brought. Amen. And I want to talk about that tonight. And the title of my sermon is The Post-Pandemic Revival. Amen. First Kings chapter 17 and verse number one. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, This is the most stupid statement I've ever read in the Bible. As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. What in the world was wrong with Elijah that he would say such an ignorant statement? can be seated. All of us have Bible heroes. Some of us love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of us like Daniel. Some of us like the Apostle Peter. Some of us like Elijah because so many children's names are Elijah. Nobody ever names a kid Elisha. They always name the kid Elijah. We name our kids Paul and John, and we all have our favorite Bible heroes. But when it comes to Elijah, I cannot possibly imagine why anybody would name their kid Elijah. Number one, uh, I have a doctor friend who is a psychiatrist. It's not my personal physician. <laughs> I asked him one day, I said, I said, Doc, I need to describe somebody to you, and I'd like for you to give me a quick diagnosis. And uh, he said, well, I'll try. And I described Elijah the best I could without telling him who I was describing. I think he thought I was describing a family member. And I said, what do you think is wrong with this guy? And he said, well, he said, it appears that he has psychosis, that he's a very psychotic person. And I thought, wow. And then he said he suffers from manic depressive disorder. that he goes from fits of highs to great lows in his life. And thirdly, he has a great deal of schizophrenia. And I thought, this guy needs to be in a hospital, in a lockup ward. Amen. Why would you shut up heaven that there be no rain for three and a half years without at least stopping and realizing somewhere along the line, you're going to suffer with them. Like my mother, uh, there was 11 kids in our family, and we was raised on a 26-acre cotton farm down in Louisiana. And uh, 
I asked mama one time, I said, why did you have so many kids? And she said, well, son, me and daddy couldn't pick all the cotton by ourselves, And so we just had our own little cotton pickers. Elijah was, uh, when I think about Elijah and how he's used of God, it reminds me so much of home missionaries. They're schizophrenic, psychotic, with a manic depressant disorder. But if God could use a sick man like Elijah, it appears to me that he can use just about anybody he wants to. Can I have an amen? When I started preaching uh, 20 minutes after I got the Holy Ghost, for fact, God called me to preach wearing a pair of blue Bermuda shorts. Only. I got the Holy Ghost on a front row with a pair of blue Bermuda shorts on in college in 1967. And I went to college to raise hell and God found me and ruined my life. And 20 minutes after I quit talking in tongues, God called me to preach. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God personally why it took him so long to make up his mind to make a preacher out of me. Amen. And uh, when, I look at, when I look at Elijah, he was a deeply disturbed human being. Number one, he was disturbed by the ungodly rule of Ahab. Anybody disturbed about what's going on around you? Boy, I didn't get a response much out of that one. I said, are you, are you disturbed about what's going on in our country? Amen. If you're not, you ought to be. Praise God. He was, he was disturbed at the idolatry of God's people. Amen. I, I, can't, I cannot fathom a people that was so quickly converted to idolatry as God's people were in that hour. Amen. If we're not careful, if we're not careful in this hour, our own people will become more idolatrous than what we'd like for them to be. Instead of being on fire for God, they're on fire for Ohio State football. Amen. I told somebody today, I said, uh, you know what real joy is? It's when Ohio State, Michigan, and Notre Dame all lose the same weekend. <laughs> Boy, I, it got quiet in that car too. <laughs> he was disturbed by God's people so quickly wanting to, to, to involve themselves in the things of the world. Can I have a witness, somebody? If you're a pastor, you know what I'm talking about. Then he was disturbed by the wickedness of Jezebel. And I, I think that if I can give you a little bit of historical facts here about Jezebel, it'll help you understand why the nation was facing what it was facing. But uh, under Solomon, when he married 700 wives and 300 concubines, uh, when he brought these strange women from other nations, uh, he vowed to them uh, that he would build a temple to their God in his land. 
And Solomon started all of this uh, by bringing in uh, uh, idolatrous worship uh, through the wives that he married. And it, it continued down to the next king and the next king and the next king. And, and, and Israel was having a standoff uh, between the, the God of Israel and the God of Baal because of all the women that they had brought in and had built temples for and when, when Ahab married Jezebel, who was the, uh, a priestess, uh, a Zidonian priestess of, of Phoenicia, uh, she was the leader, a, a high priestess of Baal. And when he built her a temple, she had such influence on the other idolatrous women that Solomon had married that he brought, she brought a coalition. Up, and all of a sudden now, the, the, the prophets of Baal are as many as the prophets of God. And for many years, there was a standoff until Jezebel came in and when, when Jezebel and her idolatrous worship outnumbered the prophets of God, they took over. And we've seen that happen in our own nation as we have allowed the liberals to outnumber the conservatives. And now we're having a holy war between uh, wokeism and all those kind of things uh, and the cultural changes that's going on. Uh, and, and instead of us being a Christian nation, we have lost our power and our influence. Uh, and the world is overshadowing the church. Uh, and when they become in power, that's always going to be hell on earth to pay. And that's what's happened in Israel. And Jezebel has taken over and she has killed the prophets of God. Can I have a witness, somebody? And, and not only that, uh, uh, the violence in the land. Uh, and, the, and, and the fifth thing that Elijah was so disturbed about was uh, that Ahab, under the influence of Jezebel, had destroyed Elijah's family. And, and you don't read about this very often, but, but his own family was destroyed uh, by the influence of Jezebel and Ahab. And so he had a built-in anger about him uh, when he steps up to Ahab uh, and he pronounces judgment. and says, it's not going to rain uh, uh, these years, uh, but according to my word. And that's the first time we ever hear of Elijah is when he mouths off to Ahab uh, and puts a judgment upon him. Can I have a witness, somebody? And from that statement, uh, God honored that statement, uh, and thus Elijah is thrust on the scene uh, and becomes the most powerful prophet uh, that the world has ever known. Can I have a witness, somebody? Praise God. And, and, and yet he has, he's mentally disturbed. Uh, he's got all kinds of uh, psycholo psychological problems in him, uh, but it doesn't stop him uh, from doing uh, a work of God. You got to quit looking uh, at what's wrong with you and say, okay, what is right with me? I feel the Holy Ghost here, okay? If, if we're going to build a church, we can't major on what our problems are. We got to major on what God's burden for us is. Praise God. 
And Elijah was that kind of problem. He was so disturbed that when Ahaziah went to Baal for healing and Elijah found out, he cursed the fact that he went to Baal instead of Jehovah God. And Ahaziah sent three groups of 50 men to take Elijah and destroy him. And he called down fire from heaven and burned up two of the 50 groups. What kind of man would want to kill 50 men like that? Praise God. And, and of course, the third group uh, fell on their knees uh, and begged uh, uh, Elijah not to kill them, and, 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 and thus they survived. That's the kind of man that, that Elijah was, and yet he did a very powerful work for God. Elijah is one of the only prophets uh, in the Bible that had the opportunity to anoint his successor. And when you look at other people that tried to anoint their successor, they were absolute failures. Uh, Eli uh, appointed his sons uh, in his stead, and, and, and David uh, uh, appointed uh, uh, Solomon, and Solomon appointed Re, uh, uh, Rehoboam. And, and you know how things went from bad to worse uh, when they started appointing their successors. Uh, but Elijah appointed Elisha to be a successor in his place. In 1 Kings 19 and verse 16, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, uh, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy stead. Praise God. And here's what's important. When he, anoint, when he slapped the mantle on Elisha, and verse 19, uh, so he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And with the twelfth, and Elijah passed by him, cast his mantle upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray, watch this now, let me go and kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And too many of us have an a then in our lives. If you're going to follow God, you got to make up your mind, I'm going to do a work for God. It doesn't matter who you are, how big you are, how small you are, how important you are, or how unimportant you are. As long as you got and thens in your life, you're never going to do a work for God because everything will interfere. But when you make up your mind, I'm going to do a work for the Holy Ghost in this hour. I'm going to tell you something. We need men in this hour that have a made-up mind. They got their foot on the rock and their mind made up that God can use me. I feel the Holy Ghost. Can I have an amen? Now, we know that Elijah is going to be carried away in a fiery chariot by God. In 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse number 1, it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elijah from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Terry, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Now we all know this story and I'm not going to repeat it just yet, but Elijah takes Elisha on this journey. And when you look at the journey and you look on the map, it's kind of a zigzag type journey. 
It's not a straight line. From place to place, he jumps around. And I've studied this so much that I'm blue in the face, but I realize that he wants to impart something into Elisha on this journey he's got to take. And when you look at the journey that he takes and you understand the representation of each stop along this journey, it starts making sense. You see, I remember when I got the Holy Ghost in the late 60s, 1967, and uh, I went through college in 67 and 68, 69, 70, and 71. Then I started evangelizing in the, in the, in the 70s, and I started pastoring uh, in the latter part of the 70s. I, I, I can tell you that if you had revival in the 60s, uh, you had to fight every inch of the way for revival. And something happened in 1967 that I can't fully put my hand on it, but an attitude changed in the United Pentecostal Church. In, in Atlantic City, New Jersey, was having general conference, and something happened in that conference that made people to start believing that maybe we didn't have to take a back seat to, to anybody else. And I want to tell you something. I don't care how big your church is or how small your church is. We don't have to take a back seat to, to anybody in this hour. We don't have to be ashamed of the holiness doctrines that we preach. We don't have to be ashamed of what we stand for. Amen. If everybody else can express their opinion, no matter how far out it is, it's time for the apostolic church to stand up and say, hey, I'm not as far out as you think I am. I've got something that'll straighten your life out. Praise God. They'll be selling Cadillacs in hell before I change my message. Do you realize that we're the only normal people in the world left anymore? If you're normal. So Elijah, he's anointed Elisha. Elisha is sticking with him. And so he knows that he's supposed to leave this world, but he wants to impart something into Elisha before he leaves. And after he imparts everything on this journey, then Elijah turns and says, uh, what do you want? And Elisha says, uh, I want a double portion. Would you say double portion with me? Turn to your neighbor and say, I want a double portion. When you look at, when you look at the double portion, I think we misinterpret what, what he asked for. Because number one, when, 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 when Jesus appeared with Moses and Elijah on the mount, why didn't he meet with Moses and Elisha since Elisha was supposed to be twice as powerful as Elijah? But he didn't meet with Moses and Elisha. He met with Moses and Elijah. And because the double portion, if you go back to the original languages, uh, was not a double portion. It was a second portion. Let that sink in for a moment. Elisha never asked to have twice as much, 
But he was knowing the history of prophets and knowing that prophets could not appoint their own successors and knowing that Elijah was such a great man of God, he was wondering whether or not that there was going to be a portion left for him after Elijah left. And he said, look, when you leave, I want a second portion. If the first portion is all there is to it, then I don't want to be that prophet. Let me tell you something. We had revival in the 70s. Everywhere I went as an evangelist, I doubled or tripled every church I went to, praise God. I went there to double every church. I went there to have revival. I stayed till I had revival. My average revival was 15 to 20 weeks, and I had as high as 26-week revival because I didn't leave until God poured out the Holy Ghost everywhere I went and revival started catching on and then in the 80s we started having 100 soul revivals and 300 soul revivals and we've had even 1,000 soul revivals since then and I praise God and, and we're built on the foundation of, of the men that went before us uh, that had revival and let me tell you something because the pandemic has come does not mean uh, that revival is over now we got to ask God I want the second portion of that first wave of God Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost in Ohio. And I'm going to tell you what, it is the will of God for your church to double. Not in 10 years, not in a decade, but in one single revival. It's the will of God for your church to double. I feel a spirit of prophecy right now. I'm commanding in the name of Jesus that your church double. Before I go on this journey, can, can, I, can I just get down personal with you? I'm not, I'm not preaching, I'm just talking to you, okay? We all have excuses as to why our church is not growing. I was pastoring in Lake Charles. I've actually pastored three churches. The first church, I lasted two months. And they kicked me out. I got, I got kicked out by one of the deadest churches in Pentecost. I couldn't believe that they fired me. That was unimaginable. But it lasted two months. So I figured pastoring, uh, th that's for idiots. I'm gonna evangelize. So I started traveling around the country causing problems for all the pastors. <laughs> I couldn't preach a lick. <laughs> I sat on the front porch in a rocking chair studying for my sermon that night. I was preaching in my hometown. And uh, my dad was a heathen. And uh, my dad had come to church with me for the first time the night before. And uh, so I'm sitting out there getting my sermon ready. And my dad walks out and he sits down beside me. And I said, what's on your mind? He said, well, I got to talk to you, son. 
He said, when you get up to preach, he said, just make sure they take up the offering before you preach. <laughs> I said, why? He said, because after they hear you preach, they won't give you nothing. <laughs> That's what my dad thought about my preaching. Uh, in the 70s, I evangelized and then I took a church in Lake Charles. The church, the, the, the pastor had been in an airplane crash and he killed a man in an airplane crash and he had three head injuries in his own self and uh, the church had run a couple of hundred people but after the airplane crash he was depressed and sat in a rocking chair 24 hours a day and the church went into a nosedive and, uh, and after he got down to about 60 people, he decided he better resign. So he calls me and asks me would I take the church. So I, I went there and it was depressed. It was broke. No money. And uh, I immediately started soul winning. And we went from 60 people to run over 450 in less than two years. Rock and roll revival. I could have majored on the problems. And if you're pastoring a church that you got problems in it, join the club. There's no such thing as a perfect church. And if you say, well, we have sin in my church, we can't have revival. If you're not greater than the sin in your church, something's wrong with you. Because I am a one-man revival. And I'm not going to let any devil in hell or out of hell stop me from having revival. I may have to throw the pulpit at them, but we're going to have revival. And uh, we, was, we was having such an awesome revival. And, and anybody believe in the five-fold ministry? Okay, I don't believe you do, but I, 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 I want to tell you a little story here. <laughs> a, a prophet from Indiana called me, and he said, Pastor, uh, I'm fixed to come see you tonight. I'm leaving Indianapolis. I'm driving to Lake Charles over 700 miles. I won't get there till after church. I want to meet with you after church. And I said, okay. All day long I sweated it because this guy was a prophet. I was scared of him. I don't like prophets. I don't like people knowing what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> Amen. I avoid prophets. I'm not the holiest guy in Pentecost, okay? It ain't no fun being the most perfect person in the church. Amen. And uh, so after church, he come into town, and I met him at a pizza hut, and we sit down, and I said, uh, okay, what do you want to tell me? It scared me to death. We just came out of a Sunday night service, packed wall to wall, front to rear, I mean, and he said, uh, I'm here to tell you that you got to resign this church immediately. I said, what? 
I said, what's in it for you? <laughs> he said, I don't, have no, I don't have a monkey in a fight. He said, when I leave here tonight, I'm turning around, I'm driving all the way back to Indianapolis because I got revival tomorrow night in Indianapolis. I said, what'd God tell you? He said, tell you. Why'd he tell you? I got to argue with him. Who are you to tell me? I don't even know you. He said, God told me to drive here and look at you face to face and say, you got to resign immediately. We ate our pizza. I left mad. He got in his truck. He drove back to Indianapolis. I went home and my wife, she's in the in in living room biting her fingernails. Because she thought he was going to tell me what all my sins were. And I, she said, what did he say? He said, told me I had to resign the church immediately. She said, we just built our home. First time my wife ever had a home. We didn't have no curtains in the windows. We didn't have no furniture in the house. We slept in the closet because didn't have any curtains. You ought to try that sometime. You're talking about togetherness. That's pretty tight. Half of you go get in the closet tonight. I dare. Oh my God, we got kids in here. I shouldn't say that. She said, We had to resign immediately. She said, What? I said, Yeah. He said, I had to resign. She said, What are you going to do? I said, We got to decide whether or not we believe in the fivefold ministry. We say we do, but only when it agrees with us. I got five elders in my life. I love my five elders. They're scattered all over the country. And they'll remain my elders as long as they agree with me. When one of them starts disagreeing with me, I find a reason to get rid of him, get another elder in my life. I said, I'm going to resign. She said, are you, are you loco? I said, no, Wednesday night, I'm going to church. I'm going to, the reason I've been in Wichita for 44 years is I'll, I'll never resign another church. I got up Wednesday night and I, I sang a song and I said, I got something I want to make an announcement. Tonight's my last night here. I'm resigning tonight. I thought the place was going to go ape. We, my wife and I slipped out the side door, got in our car and drove off. And three times in the next three days, we had prophets come to us and prophesy. I knocked on a pastor's door, and he come to the door, and he said, Oh, my God, thus saith the Lord, I will send you to Wichita, Kansas, and there you will build a church. I said, Wichita, what? Three times in three days. And I had never been to Kansas, never been to Wichita, didn't know anything about Kansas. And uh, so I got back home on Saturday night, and uh, uh, my phone recorder was on and it was from Wichita, Kansas. A phone call was waiting for me. So I returned the phone call and the man said, uh, Pastor Cornwell, we want you to come and try out for Wichita, Kansas. I said, Wichita Falls, Texas? No, Kansas. And so I looked on the map, found out where Wichita was and we drove up to Wichita and I took a church 
that was the largest church in the district six months ago had three major splits and had become the smallest church in Kansas in just six months. That's problems. And, and they voted me in. And I thought, oh my God, got 20 people. And they said, if we vote you in, will you take the church? And I said, I will. I got phone calls from all over this country saying how stupid I was. And I agreed with every one of them. <laughs> I left a church running 450 and took a church running 20 people. The first sermon I preached was, how far can you see from where you're sitting? Where Lot and Abraham parted ways and God said to Abraham, look now to the north, south, east, and west from the place where you are. I want to ask you, what do you see from where you're sitting? If you're only seeing problems and all that kind of stuff, you're looking at the wrong thing. This hour, God has appointed our nation a second wave of the Holy Ghost. Please listen to me. Please listen to me. There's a second wave of the Holy Ghost that's coming. It's more powerful than the first wave. It's going to be longer lasting than the first wave. God's going to open a door that no man can shut. It's not going to come the way you think it's going to come or the way you've been planning for it to come. It's going to sneak up on you so quickly and you're going to wonder what hit us, praise God. We've got to be ready for the second wave of the Holy Ghost. The pandemic only caused us to stop and reset, praise God. Either somebody turned to Eric this morning, or there's a lot of holy eebie-jeebies in this place. God's in this place tonight, praise God. I didn't come here to waste my time. I come here with a specific message for you that God has a post-pandemic revival and that we got to quit worrying about what is going on behind us and look to our future and say, God, I'm ready for the post-pandemic revival outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I'm, I'm trying to get a lot in here tonight. I, I want to I tell you a story, and, and, and I, I hope that you'll understand. I, uh, my mother had 15 brothers and sisters, and uh, my, my mother was a prophetess. Uh, at 16 years old, she had tremendous gifts of healing and miracles. And she backslid when she was 16 years old to marry my father, who was a heathen. My grandfather was a pioneer preacher preaching the apostolic doctrine in 1920, the Jesus name message, four years after the revelation. He was a one-legged preacher. He was uneducated, 
Uh, he couldn't preach a lick. He started seven churches, built seven churches in his lifetime. All seven churches are still in existence. Of, and, and he's responding. He never was UPC, but he was ALJC all of his life. And yet he's responsible for the four largest churches in Pentecost today. But when he, my mother married my father, my, my father hated my grandfather so much, he moved us away from the apostolic uh, uh, people in our family. And I was raised uh, uh, 18 years uh, without ever going to church, without ever hearing my mother pray, without ever hearing a prayer in our home. But I didn't know that God had his hand on my life. And when I went away to college, uh, I received a full ride scholarship uh, my last day of high school. We were, we, were, we, were, we were raised so poor at a place called Frogmore, Louisiana. They got a cotton gin, a general store, a plantation house, and the slave quarters. Uh, and I wasn't raised in the plantation house. The house that we grew up in didn't have doors on the front or rear. We had no running water, no indoor facilities at all. And it was 11 kids lived in a three-room shack. That's how I was raised up. And, and my guidance counselor, uh, from, from first grade to the 12th grade, I didn't know who she was. Uh, she wrote a doctoral thesis on poverty children picking themselves up by their bootstraps and making something out of their life. And she'd done a 12-year study of my, of my life and presented it to Louisiana Tech University. They were so impressed with the dissertation that they wanted to meet me and they came down the last day of high school and offered me a full ride scholarship on the thesis that my guidance counselor had written about my life. In 1967, my draft number was 18. I was headed to Tigerland, USA, which was uh, uh, Fort Polk uh, training facilities uh, for Vietnam. And I had a foreboding uh, that I was supposed to die in the rice paddies of Vietnam. And I went off to college uh, and I, I was letting my hair grow long, beard, uh, 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 clothing. Uh, I wore a pair of dirty blue shorts uh, uh, my first day of college. I opened my first dormitory room uh, and the first three words I heard was, praise the Lord. One apostolic boy on that entire campus of 14,000 students and God put me in the room with him and five days later I went to the house of God Every one of us have got some kind of story like that if God called you to preach, that means he knows what your name is. He knows who you are. He knows where you came from. And if he called you to preach, he has a purpose in your life, praise God. Somebody said amen. I got fired. I took Wichita the church was in such a mess. There was wife swapping in the group that was left. There was a wife swapping deal going on in church. We was trying to have revival. Didn't have any money. I sold my home and took the equity and paid church bills for two years. My wife and I didn't buy a pair of shoes, a shirt, 
underwear, nothing. We bought groceries for two years to pay all the church bills. Don't tell me that, that you have to sacrifice too much for the kingdom. Either you're going to sacrifice everything up front or you'll sacrifice the rest of your life. Either you got to go for broke or you're going to go for broke all of your life. You got to make up your mind that soul winning is going to be my number one priority. You're not listening to me. Soul winning has got to be your number one priority. God didn't ask us to go soul winning. He commanded us to go soul winning. Don't tell me you believe in Acts 2.38 and don't believe in soul winning because they both come out of the same Bible. We started trying to have revival. I was building a little old building that the people wanted to build. So I called volunteers and I was the only one that showed up. We dug the trenches. Five o'clock in the afternoon, I sat down on the ground, hung my feet down in the hole. I'm mad, upset. The people wanted to build a building. Nobody showed up to work except me. I was pretty lonely. I'm sitting there fuming. About the time a car pulls on the car parking lot, a man and his wife gets out. I hadn't been there too long. Walked over to me and I said, they said, Pastor, we need to talk to you. I said, what are y'all doing here? He said, we want to talk to you about getting married. I said, y'all getting married? I thought y'all was already married. But not to each other. They had another wife, another husband, somewhere else. They've been swapping wives as long as they want to get married. And I said, you want me to what? You want me to marry you? I said, you want me to be a part of a wife swapping deal going on? I'm already mad. <laughs> I'm already backslid. Only thing I lack is just let, breaking loose and cussing. I, I jumped up out of that hole, got in his face, and I said, how long y'all been doing this? Well, a good while. I said, you mean I've been trying to have revival and fasting my guts out, and y'all been committing adultery the whole time? I reached down and picked up a dirt clod <laughs> and throwed it right in their face. Oh, it felt so good. Oh, I hit them right in the face with it. I picked up a nerd duck cloth and throwed it. They got to backing up and I got to walking forward. I got to shouting and talking in tongues and throwing dirt clods. They jumped in the car and locked the door and got to backing out. And I'm running behind them throwing dirt clods at them. And going down the street and they're peeling their tires out. And I'm following them throwing dirt clods at them. I, never, I just lost it. Or maybe I found it, praise God. I walked over to the house and walked in the door. And my wife said, what's wrong with you? I said, shut up. Ain't nothing wrong with me. <laughs> Went in the bedroom, pulled off all those old dirty, nasty clothes, took a shower, grabbed my Bible and my Bible chart, walked through the living room. And my wife said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to teach a Bible. I said, what else you want to know? Got in my car, backed out, spun my tires, throwed rocks all over the side of my house, 
run three stop signs and four red lights, pulled into the house where I was going to teach the Bible, slammed the door, grabbed my chart, walked to the door, hit that doorbell. They came to the door. I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> Nobody said it's going to be easy. Nobody said it's going to be peaches and cream. But God didn't call you to peaches and cream. He called you to warfare. You're made. You're born and bred for this kind of work. We got too many cream puffs among us. If you're going to be a cream puff, get out now. Turn your license in. started teaching Bible studies. 15 Bible studies a week. I'm going to talk about this tomorrow. God sent revival. I never will forget that first sermon. How far can you see from where you're sitting? I said, if this church, and by the way, all 20 people sat on the back four rows of the building. I prayed and asked them to move up. They wouldn't do it. So I said, okay, if you're not going to move up, I'll move you out. I'll, I'll pray to people through that you won't find a seat when you come to church. I said, if you're not ready to run a thousand, don't vote me in as your pastor. Three years later, three years later, less than three years later, we had a thousand and fifty in Sunday school. And we've never looked back it's very important to understand you need to know who you are. You've got to know who you are. God called you to be a soul winner. Elijah is supposed to leave by a whirlwind. You've got to remember one thing. Elijah, not only a psychotic, schizophrenic, manic depressant, but he knows that's what he is. Y'all missed that one. He was not ignorant of his problems. Now, this little journey we've just to take on may be a little bit brutal, okay? Bear with me. The Bible says he took him from Gilgal. When you find out about Gilgal, you'll find out that Gilgal was the place where Ahab and Jezebel had destroyed his family. It was the place of bitter memories. Elijah is telling Elisha, before you start your journey, why don't you make up your mind, I'm going to deal with my bitter memories. We've all got bitter memories. If you don't have bitter memories, you hadn't done anything. If you've never been hurt, Brother Stark, you didn't just snap your finger in that church come in existence in Columbus. I'd look on your face and say that you've been to hell and back pastoring a church. And you didn't just snap your finger and go from a house church to 700. 
We all have been crushed. Every great preacher in Pentecost today, I can tell you something about every one of them, that they got bitter memories in their past. But if we're going to go forward after this pandemic revival, we need to deal with our bitter memories of our hurts in the past of our rejections, of the time we've gone broke. Sister Cole and I have gone broke four times. We have lost two homes in our walk with God. We have some bitter memories in our past. I've met the district board seven times to save my license. The district tried seven times to take my license. I, w I was in, in Kansas more than 25 years before I ever preached a meeting in one of our churches in Kansas. I wasn't allowed to go to fellowship meetings. Our young people was not allowed to go to youth camps. Bitter memories. All because of the spirit of jealousy. I've been called an adulterer and a homosexual the same day by the same man. My wife said, don't worry about it. A double-minded man's unstable in all of his ways. <laughs> I've been called a charismatic. I've been called a liberal. You name it, I've been called it. But the best way to to outdo your enemies, best way to deal with your enemies is just plain outlive them. Amen. And I look around now and all my enemies are gone. Praise the Lord. And I'm still standing. Can I have an amen? You gotta learn how to forgive your bitter memories. You're not listening. The second wave of revival that's coming, God is looking for pure men. He's looking for holy men. He's looking for men without chips on his shoulder. He's looking for women that are forgiving women. Can I have an amen? We don't need to be fighting one another and arguing one another or trying to outdo one another. We be brethren and we're in this thing together. If you're isolated, it's because you're not reaching out to anybody around you. Somebody said amen. When I, when I think about the hell that I've had to go through in Kansas uh, for the first 25 or 30 years I was in Kansas, uh, uh, it, it's extremely depressing. But I thank God that my children and my grandchildren don't know anything about it. I don't want to spread my bitter memories uh, to the next generation. You got to deal with them right now, praise God, and say, Lord, I forgive everything in my past. All I have is a future. Don't look back. Uh, turn around and face your future. Your future is not behind you. It's ahead of you. You be seated. The second thing, he, he said, I got to go to Bethel. 
Now, Bethel is a common name in the Bible. And what does Bethel mean? The house of God. Where was the first place that Bethel is mentioned in the Bible? Always go to the law of the first mention. When you find Bethel, it's where Jacob is leaving home. His ignorant father, Isaac, was sending his son back to the place uh, that God called Abraham out of. Jacob was about to become a heathen. He didn't learn God in his house. Isaac didn't teach him God. And so he's going to send him back to the land of heathenism. And on his way out, he builds a fortress to hide from the wild beasts and from Esau. And he has a dream of the latter. Angels going up and coming down. You know that story. He woke out of sleep and said, surely God was in this place and I knew it not. He wasn't talking about the little fortress he was in. He was talking about the land uh, that he was fixing to leave. God was in this land, uh, and I never knew God. I never learned God while I was here. And then he does something that's so important, and that is he makes a vow to God. He said, if the Lord will keep me in the way that I go, give me food to eat and raiment to put on and bring me back to this place, then the Lord, Jehovah, will be my God. In other words, he said, I will serve only the Jehovah God and not the gods of the land where I'm going. He made a decision that God was the only God he was going to serve by making a vow. Can I have an amen? And so Elijah takes Elisha to Bethel and says, look, if you're going to do a work and have a second portion, then you got to learn how to make a vow that you'll not repeal. It's very important as a home missionary or as a new church planner that when you go there, you're going to make a vow to yourself and before God. I'm here. I'm going to build a church. I'm going to become a soul winner. I vow in my spirit that I will raise up a work for God. You'll never do anything for God unless you're bound by a vow. Elisha had to learn to be bound by a vow. In 1972, at a San Diego Convention Center in San Diego, California, I was a young evangelist. I didn't know anybody. I was an unknown person, and, uh, and the, the speaker was up speaking, and, and it got a hold of my heart. I ran to the front of that convention center, broken before God, and I, I knelt at the altar at that San Diego Convention Center in December of 1972, and I made a vow to God that day. I said, God, I know I'm a chemical engineer. I'm laying it down. I vow before you that I will do the will of God for my life. And I said, I will change, I vowed a vow that I will change the way evangelism is done in the United Pentecostal Church. And I said, God, I'm going to do it if I have to do it by myself. And I picked up a Bible study chart. And I started teaching home Bible study. And I started traveling for home Bible study. 
And for 40, uh, excuse me, uh, since 1972, almost 51 years, uh, I have kept it up and taught as much as 39 seminars a year across this nation. And every growing church in America now is involved in home Bible study. And every revival church uh, is a home Bible study church. Can I have an amen? I made a vow to do that. Uh, I'm here tonight because I'm under a vow to God uh, to take it everywhere I go. God wants to use us, but we got to be bound uh, by a vow of some kind. You're not going to build a church unless you're bound by a vow. I've never vowed to become rich. I've never vowed to become famous. I've never vowed to become a great preacher. I've never asked God to help me learn how to preach, but I'm constantly begging God, help me to be a better soul winner. I gotta be a better soul winner. I've never asked God to help me with a sermon, but I'm constantly begging God to help me with soul winning, praise God. From Bethel, he has to go to Jericho. Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. 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 Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. And the walls come tumbling down. Now look. Elijah fought a lot of battles. He was telling Elisha. I'm taking you to Jericho. The biggest battle that Israel fought in the promised land was the first battle. The highest walls were first. You, you don't sneak up on the devil. You got to meet him head on. Don't tell me that the devil's too big in your city. This city don't want revival. I've heard that for so long I'm sick of it. When Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights when he started his ministry, he purposely became as weak as he could become because he didn't want to meet the devil in his strength. He wanted to meet the devil in his weakness. He wanted to let the devil know that in my weakest moment, buddy, I whoop you. Amen. And when he got as weak as he could earthly get, then he opened himself up to meet the devil. And three times he met the devil and whipped him all three times in his weakest moment. You are stronger in your weakest moment than the devil will ever be in his greatest moment. There is no devil in hell or out of hell that can prevent you from building a church. I don't care how educated you are or how uneducated you are. My grandfather was so uneducated, he only had a first grade education. And he figured that's as much school as he needed. He had a one leg, he had a homemade peg leg. For a fact, uh, I have a cousin that owns that peg leg and I'm trying to buy it from her right now. And uh, I want that peg leg. In Louisiana, before they had bridges across the bayous, uh, they either had uh, ferry boats or 
rowboats or P-rows that they would cross the bayous in. My grandfather was passing a church on one side of the bayou, and on the other side, it was a community that didn't have a church, and he wanted to build a church on the other side of the bayou. And so he told my grandmother, her name was Lily. He said, Lily, I'm going to cross the bayou. I'm going to start a church in that community. And she said, well, reason said, there ain't no bridge. Said, oh, you have to use a P-row. So he got in that P-row with that peg leg, and he paddled that P-row across the bayou. And when he got out, the, the bayous of Louisiana rise and fall with the Mississippi River. When the river goes down, it sucks the water out of the bayous. And when a river comes up, the bayous come up, and it's constantly rising and falling. And usually there's about 100 feet of mud between the edge of the water and the dry bank. And it's that old gumbo mud. Well, the river was down, the bayou was down. My grandfather stepped out of that P-Row with that peg leg and it got stuck in the mud. That's where that original phrase, stuck in the mud, come from. And, uh, and, and he couldn't pull that peg leg out of that mud and he pushed the boat off with his other foot and the boat went down the bayou and my grandfather stuck in the mud with his suit on and standing on the edge of the water and, and he can't get out. It's 100 feet to the dry bank. He can't fall over because that peg leg's holding him up. And he gets to holler, hey, hey. There's some farmers plowing a field. They hear him hollering. They come down and they find an apostolic preacher stuck in the mud on the edge of the bayou and they see the boat drifting off and, and they, they go get some grass ropes. They lasso my grandfather and they pull him out of that mud, belly down with a suit and tie on, holding his Bible above his head to keep him from getting mud. And they drag him out of that, that mud pit. He stands up. He is a sight to behold. And he said, well... I come over here to start a church. I want to do some preaching to y'all. And John Nugent, one of the farmers, said, well, uh, we'll let you preach off my back porch. So he started preaching off the back porch of John Nugent's house. That whole community got saved, got baptized in Jesus' name. It's a holy roller community to this day. And out of that revival, uh, a preachers came Two preachers uh, came out of that revival that pastored two of the largest churches uh, in the United Pentecost Church today because a one-legged preacher, uneducated and unorthodox, wanted to preach a revival, got stuck in the mud on the bayou and got drug out through the mud uh, and preached on the back porch uh, and started revival and built a church. Don't tell me that you got a reason why you can't start a church. And, and the battles you fight, you might as well face the fact you're going to fight battles. Brace yourself for it. Now, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but let me tell you something. If you got people in your church that have lived for God a long time and they helped you raise up a church and they have become disengaged, forget them. You'll never get them to re-engage. You got to reach out for new blood. I got people in my church that hand-carried the brick and built our building. 
and they built it by their own hands. When they got finished with it, they said, I've done a work for God. Now somebody else can do the work. And they have sat down. They haven't done anything for God since then. And you cannot get them reengaged. And I, instead of preaching to them all the time about what they're not doing, they've already done their work. They've quit the work. They have become disengaged. And I have reached out to new people that have never quit the work. If you're a preacher and you feel like you've already done your work for God and, and you don't want to re-engage, uh, let me tell you something. You better learn how to re-engage because if there's going to be a soul winner in your church, it's got to be you. You're going to fight battles, but you're strong enough for the battles. From Jericho took him to Jordan. Jordan. I'm, I'm closing with this. Jordan. What does Jordan represent? Jordan was a transition from the wilderness into the promised land. Jordan represents change. Does anybody know what God told Moses on that mountain when he stood at the burning bush? I'll give you the first word. Pull off thy what? Thy shoes. You're standing on holy ground. Why did he do that? Because the shoes he had wore for 40 years of bitterness in Midian, you can't wear bitter shoes in the wilderness. And Joshua when he crossed Jordan, before he ever got to Jericho, God said, Joshua, pull off your shoes. Because the shoes you wore in the wilderness won't work in the promised land. Our pioneers carved out a church in the wilderness. But we're not in the wilderness anymore. We're in the promise. Our churches are going to be bigger than they've ever been. Yes, sir. Miracles are going to be more than they've ever been. Healing is going to be greater than they've ever been. We're not living in the 40s anymore. We're not living in the 50s anymore. We're not living in the 60s and 70s anymore. We're not going to have the 70s revival in 2020s. We're going to have a 2020 revival. Don't be afraid to change your methods of evangelism. In the 70s, it was all about preaching. And our kids are growing up idolizing the preaching and the preachers. And they've learned how to preach, but they have forgotten to learn how to be soul winners. Our young people are growing up learning how to sing and play music and write songs and the curse of Pentecost has become our music program because everybody wants to be on the stage up front in front of everybody, but we're not teaching them that we're going to have a change. We need to become soul winners. I'm for music. I like music, praise God. But we've got to be careful of where we put our emphasis. If we're going to build a church, we've got to change our methods. 
And there's nothing work like personal evangelism and getting out and meeting people. Can I have it? Amen. I'm, I'm 29 years old, okay? When the pandemic hit, I thought, oh my God, what are we going to do? They shut us down for 89 days. I built a studio just prior to the pandemic. And we were going to record Bible study ministries and all this kind of thing. And uh, I said, we can't have church. I had 72 people at one time in my church with COVID. Couldn't do anything. And my grandson and I sat in front of those cameras every night and broadcast every night for 89 straight days. I found out I could preach sitting down. I'm almost to turn into a charismatic, get me a stool behind the pulpit. I'm going to take my necktie off and put a muscle shirt on. Might as well look the part, praise God. Only thing is that black shirt makes you look fat. I got to wear a big suit where I can wrap it around me, praise God. Eight or nine days, we sat at that table every, every night for over an hour and had revival. And, and we, we made everything positive. We're going to overcome. We've come through the diphtheria epidemic. We've come through the polio epidemic. We came through the whooping cough epidemic. This is just another epidemic we're going to overcome. And we're not going to lay down and die because we're going through a bad time. We're going to rise up and be greater than we've ever been. Praise God. Night after night after night. Praise God. And what I didn't realize was all 526 families in our church tuned in every night. And our families started having revival in their homes. They would send me pictures or videos of the family gathered around the, 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 the tube and, and showing me their kids shouting while I was preaching, praise God, in the living room. And when we got, finally went back to church, it didn't take three weeks or three months to get back to normal. We was back to normal in less than five minutes, praise God. And our church grew 35% in the last year because we found another way to do evangelism. Everybody said amen. amen. The story is not about Elijah going up in a whirlwind. It's about what he imparted to Elisha. Anybody believe you can have revival? Anybody believe that you can start a church? You think you can build a new church in Ohio? I know you can. And you that already have churches, it's time for you to double. It's time for you to find a way for your church to, to grow. Praise God. Let's all stand together. Well, I got to three pages. Hallelujah. Ohio, your word, what people are saying about Ohio, how great a district this is, I believe that. But I think we can take another step forward. Can I have an amen? amen? I want you to close your eyes and lift your hands and say, Lord, I make a vow to you tonight. I will become a soul winner. I will be a soul winner. I'm not going to put my ministry. Say it with me.
I'm not going to put my ministry in somebody else's hands. I will take control of my own ministry. I will become the soul winner in my church. I will reach people. I will build a church for Jesus Christ. I will praise God all along the way. I will rejoice all along the way. Let's praise the Lord now. Hallelujah. I'm not asking God for a revival of the 70s or a revival of the 80s or a revival of the 90s. I'm looking for a post-pandemic revival. I'm looking for a new revival. I'm looking for a new outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Let's lift our hand. Let's praise him right now. Let's praise him right now. Lay your hand on your brother's shoulder right there where you're at. Praise God. In the name of Jesus, shake him a little bit. Praise God. Uh, just shake his shoulder a little bit and say, wake up. Let's have a post-pandemic revival. Hallelujah. My God, the Holy Ghost is falling in this room right now. The Holy Ghost is falling in this room. Hallelujah. Take me. Take me on a journey. Oh God, I will not be bitter. I will learn to fight the battle. I will make a vow. And I will make the changes that's necessary to have revival. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, praise God. I want to thank you for letting me come and share a burden with you. But let me tell you something. The spirit of prophecy tells me that many churches in this, church, in this district is fixed to have a doubling. Amen. You started seven churches this year. Next year it's going to be 14 churches. Somebody shout amen. Somebody shout amen. Let's give the Lord some praise right now.